0: All right, well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and um, come back together here. Uh, I'd love to pray for us, and then we'll spend some time diving into Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Father, we are uh, grateful for who you are and uh, what you've done for us. We are grateful for the cross. Uh, what a beautiful passage to unpack the reality of Jesus, who you are, Uh, your humility, the way you came for us and uh, looked out uh, not only for your own interests but for our interests because we were destined for God's wrath and uh, you took that in our place you humbled yourself and became obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross and so we are eternally grateful for the truths that are found in Philippians 2 because our salvation rests in you and your finished work on the cross and so uh, thank you for what you've done Jesus I pray that this morning I would uh, honor you And Lord, that we would be learners, help myself even as I'm teaching to continue to be a learner and uh, show us uh, truths in your word uh, that would grow us to be more like you, Jesus, that would grow our love for you. Uh, Lord, guide me by your Holy Spirit and help me to say what uh, you want to say that would be true and that would be helpful. So uh, we lean into you. We're dependent on you. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, well, uh, go ahead and Grab your Bibles if you got them. We are just going to dive right into Philippians 2. A lot of things to, to unpack. Like Jake said, this is going to be a bit of like uh, that tour bus, tour guide mindset where we're just going to walk through this, this passage and I'll just point out things along the way. At least that, things that stuck out to me are things that I think might be helpful. Um, but I'm really delighted in studying out this passage. So uh, Philippians 2, uh, let's just walk through these first couple verses here. Uh, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. So uh, primary themes here, actually piggybacking off of the end of Philippians 1, uh, are the themes of love and of unity. So this doesn't mean, when you hear unity, especially in these verses, like have the same love, united in uh, spirit, intent on one purpose. That doesn't mean like dull uniformity. This is talking about using your diverse spiritual gifts within the body of Christ for the purpose of glorifying God. So having that same unified purpose and drive together, uh, the goal is to work together and to serve one another. So I want to start off talking a little bit just about unity. Uh, Unity for me is a huge value statement, uh, especially within the church, Uh, and I'm cheating because it was a huge value statement for Jesus as well. We see that uh, in John 17. Um, Very simply, the devil loves division. Jesus loves unity, right? I think those things are just inherently true. I think the devil is actually doing a lot, even right now in our times, to, to create all sorts of divisions, right? All sorts of brokenness and disunity, whether it's theological things, uh, uh, how do we respond to COVID, racial reconciliation, these different things. Uh, So how do we interact as Christians, and how do we enter into some of these things that are potentially divisive in nature and and walk forward in unity uh, as a church? Uh, I want to unpack a little bit of of something we actually unpack uh, in Launch Point as we talk about our beliefs uh, here at Candido Church. So uh, there was categories that was given to me a while ago. I don't know, man, who originally like, came up with this, but it was helpful for me to at least start putting some things in categories where uh, you use the language of, like, uh, die, divide. Like, when it comes to beliefs, what are things that we, we die, like the hills that we die on? What are things that historically the church has maybe divided on? What are those issues? And then what are things that we just discussed? So, uh, hills that we die on, the gospel. Jesus is, or God is uh, perfect and holy, uh, we are broken humans, uh, passionately rebellious, and that's a problem, we deserve the wrath of God, Jesus came, lived the perfect life, went in our place, absorbed the wrath of God, rose from the grave, and pursued us with his love, if we put our faith and trust in him, we're saved, he uh, we die on, right, every time here at Candado Church, it's like the cornerstone of what we believe, uh, but if you go to that second category, what are things that like historically maybe the church has divided on or just landed differently on? Uh, things like baptism, believer's baptism, infant baptism, uh, women in leadership, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, these are great conversations to have with people sitting down having coffee and just wrestling through these things and opening up God's Word. And where do you see that in God's Word? This is where I see this in God's Word. These are the conversations where you might end the conversation saying, I love you as a brother in Christ. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. Uh, like someone like Tim Keller, we see baptism differently. You know, if I were to sit down with him, which would be very intimidating to have a coffee with Tim Keller talking about something we might disagree about, but I might end that conversation with like, I love you as a brother in Christ. I, I just land a little bit differently. So, so that, that's maybe that category. And then the last one is like things that we discuss, right? So uh, when will Jesus come back? Is it gonna be post-millennial, pre-millennial, post-tribulation, pre-tribulation? How do you interpret Revelation? That's a great conversation to sit down over coffee and be like, I don't know, what do you think? Okay, so those are the categories. I think where maybe disunity can happen in the church is when like people put those boxes in the wrong areas. So so people take these things that we should be just like discussing and having that kind of conversation and make it like their hill to die on. Right? And now you've got division potentially happening within the church, right? In seminary, they would say things like uh, major on the major and minor on the minors, Uh, or where where the Bible is black and white, we have to be black and white, and where the the Bible's a bit more gray, there's room for discussion and dialogue and those things, Uh, and so when I I think of like Candeo Church and I think of like, okay, we need to be unified, same love, united and intent on one person, uh, on one purpose. I don't think that means we have to, again, dual uniformity. We have to agree on every single little thing doctrinally, right? Uh, But I think putting these things in their right category to uh, agree on the major doctrines of the Bible and then to persevere and fight for unity and to not be antagonistic towards one another. I think that's a a great expectation for a healthy church to be unified, to agree on these major things and then to push forward with the, the mission that God's given us. And so... Uh, So when I think of unity, like, that's what came to mind for me. But this unity that he talks about uh, is directly tied into the next couple verses. Uh, Verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So, humility is required for Christian unity. Uh, selfish ambition and vain conceit are like mortal enemies to unity within the church. Um, Now, we we can acknowledge that, like, uh, everyone's going to look out for their own interests, right? Like, I'm going to eat breakfast after this. I'm going to look after some of my own interests. That's, like, normal because we're human beings. Uh, But what Paul is saying here in Philippians is take that same level of concern and then now just apply it to the interests of others. Uh, so we're called to take on the, the posture of a servant. Uh, but this is really tough, and this, these couple verses might have stuck out to you as you were studying this passage, because uh, pride is in all of us. Uh, it's not whether or not, it's not like if it's in us, it's just how is it manifest in your life? Uh, or at least that's how I think about these things. Uh, and we're called to fight against that. We're called to fight against self-centeredness and self-glorification and press towards humility. Uh, Jesus calls us to this. Mark uh, 9, 35. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Uh, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So so Jesus, obviously, is going to press us towards humility. What Philippians 2 does is it gives us further definition of what humility looks like. So let's flesh this out. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Uh, what does this look like? Um, let's talk about our words in, in, in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Uh, I think it is a powerful thing when we can um, find evidences of God's grace in other people's lives and encourage them with those things. Uh, C.J. Mahaney writes this in his book, Humility. I know C.J. Mahaney has like a bit of a stain on his record, but his book, Humility, is like, super... It's really helpful. Um, but he talks about this where... Uh, man, Paul, even writing to the Corinthians, would say this at the beginning, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And you would look at the Corinthians and go, really? Like those people, have you read through Corinthians? And do you know the mess of a church that was? And even in the Corinthians, he was finding evidences of God's grace and pointing those out. Which is awesome, but I think that's a great challenge for us as we think about the interest of others. Do people feel more encouraged by your words or torn down by your words? Or what would you prefer if you were to receive? Now, we all need to receive rebuke and correction and need to hear truth. Uh, But I think we need to cling also to like Ephesians 4.29 that says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So I think that's like one category. As we think about the interest of others, what are, how are you using your words to look out for not only your own interest, but also the interest of others? Um, now let's go to the other side of that coin. Listening. Are you an empathetic listener? Uh, or are you constantly distracted thinking of uh, something else? Uh, or maybe if you think in this category, if someone close to you or someone you know is going through a trial, do you find yourself pulling away from that person? Or, like leaning in, uh, which is tough because trials are hard, it takes time, energy, and effort. Uh, but, do you do for others what you would hope that others would do for you in that moment? That they would lean in and listen, and how can I help? Um, husbands, do you listen to your wives, right? Your, our wives in general want to be heard, not fixed, if you haven't figured that one out. Uh, yeah, boy, that's yeah, talk to me afterwards, right? Um, but like these are these are helpful categories, right? It's to think through like listening, uh, using our words, and then just like the action of being servant-hearted. Uh, um, and if it's all right, I, I want to like get kind of specific here and, and specifically talk about marriage. I know there's um, some in here that are not married. I see some like high schoolers in here. I love that you're here. I saw Nathan Yerkes was here last year. I know he couldn't make it today. That's awesome. I love that stuff. Uh, But specifically to husbands and future husbands, um, man, when it comes to, like, humility, like, in these verses, I know these aren't marriage verses, but I think we can, like, apply this, right? Um, I hammer this in premarital counseling. I hammer this. And uh, we actually had a couple over last night to do premarital counseling, and we were talking about conflict and communication. And, And to me, it all goes back to humility all goes back to humility. The, obviously, like, I was wrong, will you please forgive me, but also uh, dying to your preferences. Uh, what are the preferences of your spouse, and how can you figure out those things and love her well by doing those things? Um, man, I, like, if it's one word in Ephes- or Ephesians 5 that, that calls us men to, it's um, husbands, is to, to die, like, to live a self-sacrificial life for our wives. We should go to bed husband's exhausted, just exhausted because we've been pouring ourselves out and like serving and loving our wives and families in such a way that would honor Jesus. That's like, yep, that makes sense that I'm exhausted tonight, right? That honors Jesus. So uh, whether it's like, uh, man, for me, it's like, how can I find things that even Casey doesn't like to do around the house? And how can I do those things for her? Uh, She's a cleaner, by nature, She's like, it's like therapeutic for her. I don't understand it, but she'll, she'll go around the house and she like, she'll like deep clean. I could actually honestly go home and clean the house today and she'd come home and, and in love be like, thanks for doing that. I might just do it again because it's, like, it's like still quite right, you know, like, and I see some things. And uh, so it actually wouldn't love her well to do that. But she doesn't like dishes or laundry as much. So when I see the dishes pile up, it's like I know I can look out for not only my own interest, but also the interest of Casey by doing the dishes right now. Like what, what are the things your wife doesn't like to do? Do those things. I think the goal uh, is to serve your spouse, obviously that's what we're talking about, but then to serve her with joy in your heart. And doing both of those things is like really hard, <laughs> really hard, it, it just is. It we were grilling last night and uh, we'd made brats and I put them on the table and we cut into them and they weren't quite done, which is, and she looked at me and she was like, can you put these back on the grill? which is the ultimate shot at your pride if you're grilling, right? It's like, no, I, I stuck the thermometer in it. The one brat said it was over 165. We're good, and I was a child about it. I'm like, okay, I'll put these out here. I didn't talk to her or whatever, and I'm like, all she did was ask me to put the brats back on the grill so that we don't get sick, and I I served her. I ended up doing it, but it wasn't in joy, and so it's like, how do we continue to live a life that we're walking in service and joy in our marriage, but in all of these things, and our words, our actions. I think this is the kind of humility that Philippians is talking about, um, and we see this all over scripture. First uh, Peter 5, 5 through 6, all of you clothe yourselves with humility because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Uh, or Isaiah 66, 2, this is the Lord's de- declaration, I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. So uh, humility, uh, we're commanded to be humble, but then what's interesting, you guys might have picked up on this as you're reading through this, uh, this is actually modeled at the end of Philippians 2 through two men, so uh, 2, 19 through 24, so I'm going to like go to the end of our tour uh, guide if, or ride, if that's all right, but uh, it says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you, for I have no one else like-minded who will listen to this, genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So Timothy was with Paul in Rome. He's planning on sending him to Philippi, but Timothy now becomes like an example or a model of what this looks like. To to genuinely care about the interests of others. So he sends Timothy, but then we also hear about Epaphroditus, who's from Philippi. Another example of humility. I won't read that, but that 25 through 30 chunk. um, Example of service and love. Faces danger, risks his life, his health, and all of these things to bring this gift that we'll talk more about in Philippians 4 to Paul. So looking out for the interest of the Philippians, looking out for the interest of Paul, almost dies, and then is now going to be sent back to Philippi. So two men who are living examples of humility. We see that in Philippians 2. Uh, And I think it's always a good question to ask, um, man, who in your life, and go ahead and just start picturing this person now, who in your life exemplifies humility? Like, who is that person for you? It's like, man, this person is like a living person on earth, and I see humility play out in their life. Um, I know Jake last night, or last week, uh, made a nod to his family. Uh, For me, it is, like, my mom and my dad. Just super sacrificial, super humble. I, um, man, I dropped off my RAV4. He was going to change the brakes and rotors on it, and uh, he had to order a part uh, for uh, brake caliper or whatever, and so he he held on to it longer, and we we borrowed his car instead, and... my dad's kind of a gearhead, and while he had the wrap, he like not only did that, but he like popped the hood and started like changing out spark plugs and all these things. I don't know how much like free labor we got out of my dad, but he gave us the ve- vehicle back and took out a ton of his time, like looking out not only for his own interests because he's a busy guy; he's got a lot on his plate, but looking out for the interests of Casey and I in the vehicle that we uh, just let him fix for a little while, right? Like, so you could probably give a lot of examples. Like, I think it's good to have those people in our mind. Uh, It's good to think of Timothy and Epaphroditus, but ultimately, what Philippians 2 will tell us, as you know, is that we're called to look at the uh, perfect example in Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's get to the meat and potatoes of this passage a bit. Um, 5 through 11. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is often referred to as the hymn of Christ. It goes through uh, Christ's uh, pre-existence, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Uh, so powerful passage, one of my favorite Christ exalting passages, similar to like a Colossians one15 through twenty. Uh, but Jesus had a deep sacrificial love for others. It's, it's an example for us to follow. Uh, He gave up his rights, considered uh, us as more important than himself, came to earth and showed his self-sacrificial humility. Uh, So like verse 8, right, is the ultimate expression of Christ's obedience to the Father and humility and love for us uh, through the cross, the brutal act of the cross and him absorbing the wrath of God. Uh, Verse 9, it was precisely his humiliation that led to uh, and became the grounds for his exaltation. And then verses 10 through 11, and because of this, all will acknowledge him as Lord one day, whether willingly or not. So in Philippians 2, Paul gives us the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, but also the the ultimate example of Christ himself. Uh, And it is the cross and should be the cross that keeps us humble. Uh, Listen to this quote by uh, John Stott. Every time we look at the cross... Christ seems to be saying to us, I'm here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross, that we shrink to our true size. It's just true. The closer you get to the cross, the harder it is to be proud. The cross keeps us humble. We are called to have, to have the same attitude of Jesus in humility, and this is only possible because he went in our place and because we are in Christ, and he empowers us by his spirit. So that's like big picture, 5 through 11, um, I want to backtrack a little bit uh, in this context and just talk about some things that can be st- like sticking points for some people. Um, I just want to say this. Ultimately, these verses were not written to spur Christians towards theological debate, but ultimately to encourage them towards greater humility, love, and unity, right? Like, that's the purpose of this passage. But people can get caught up in some of these things and, and, and end up maybe in some debate. And, but it's, So it's good to be aware of these things, uh, be able to articulate, articulate good theology, uh, but this first point, uh, like, verses uh, 6, right? We start getting to the pre-existence of Christ. He is eternal, and he is God. Uh, I won't spend a lot of time here, but, um, man, I was meeting with a guy a little while ago. I was having great com- uh, gospel conversations with him. And I remember when I, I just dropped the statement that, um, like, hey, you know that Jesus wasn't created in Bethlehem, Right? And there was, there was something about even that that was just like a light switch for him. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, no, he's eternal. Like, he was creator of the world. He wasn't created in Bethlehem. He is eternal, and he is God. Jesus is, always has been, and always will be God, okay? Now, that leads us to another verse, the next verse that can be tricky, Again, for some people. Uh, and it is. It, it, it's just kind of maybe confusing at, at first glance as you read through it. Uh, verse 7. Instead, Jesus emptied himself. He emptied himself. Now, this, those two words have uh, potentially a lot of controversy over church history and theology. Uh, that Greek word means to, to empty or to pour out or also metaf- metaphorically to give up status and privilege. So the question is, uh, in what way did Jesus empty himself? Does this mean that Jesus Christ temporarily gave up his divine attributes or his deity during his earthly ministry? And the answer, very simply, is no. No. Paul is not saying that Christ became less than God or gave up some divine attributes. I remember in in youth group when I learned that uh, Jesus is 100% man, 100% God, right? Like, this is just what's true of Jesus. So the emptying consisted of him becoming human, not of his giving up any part of his true deity. He made himself nothing, not by giving up his deity, but by laying aside his glory and submitting to the humiliation of becoming a man. Uh, One commentary said it this way, Paul is stressing that Christ who had all the privileges that were rightly his as king of the universe gave them up to become an ordinary Jewish baby bound for the cross. So the emptying consisted of his becoming human, not of his giving up any part of his true deity. So um, historically, there've been people have argued differently. There's something out there called the kenosis theory. Uh, any kind of theory or theology that Jesus gave up some or all of his deity as he came to earth is just not in accordance with the book of Philippians, the Bible as a whole, or early Christian theology. Um, if Christ was not fully God, his sacrifice on the cross would not have been sufficient. Christ was and had to be God as he went to the cross to absorb the wrath of God, the Father, and rise from the dead. So again, another theological debate that uh, people can get into. I think it's good to be aware of. Um, so that's like verses 5 through 11, maybe some sticking points. There's, there's another like kind of sticking point uh, in the next chunk here uh, that I want to dive into as well. So if you keep going with me, verses 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my dear, brother, or my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. All right, that phrase uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. First of all, when you hear fear and trembling, don't think like uh, doubts or anxiety. Think um, reverence and awe, right? Uh, but let's let's talk about work out your own salvation. So um, that seems confusing at first glance and, and tricky. and It's like, man, we got to dive into that. I remember when I was in physical therapy school and we'd get to some of these cases that were just tricky and complex. And you're like, boy, where do I even start with something like that. And I just, man, our, uh, our, our guy who's kind of our orthopedic uh, professor was just really helpful at always going like, hey, when you get to these complex cases, just always start at like the basics. Like start at what you know, start at uh, like posture and like the general joint mechanics. Well, how's the soft tissue doing? Like start there and then work out. It's amazing what you'll find along the way. And, uh, and I'm like, man, I think that applies here as well. So what do we know? Let's go to the basics of Christian theology. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It is by grace through faith that we have been saved. So faith alone in Christ alone equals salvation. Right? Like, that's like Gospel 101. It is in faith alone in Christ alone that we are saved. Now, if you want to play out that equation maybe a bit more, is faith alone in Christ alone equals salvation, but faith alone in Christ alone is never alone. Right? So it's going to produce good works in our life. It's going to produce fruit. It's going to produce obedience. If the, if the Holy Spirit is genuinely working inside of us as a believer, those things should be the outcome of our life. Again, that doesn't uh, cause our salvation or lead to our salvation. It's like a, a byproduct of our salvation uh, by faith. Uh, and grace. So uh, this is, this whole, like, working out your own salvation might be similar to uh, maybe the the argument uh, or tension people will feel with James and Paul when James says, you know, faith without works is dead, and Paul says it's in faith alone in Christ alone we're saved. It's like, man, were these two ever, like, did they even, like, talk to one another? Did they just miss one another? And, uh, man, Jake, when you taught this, I thought that was really helpful as you walked through this. But ultimately, the, those passages are friends, not enemies, right? Again, by what I just explained, Uh, But here in Philippians, just like recognize the wording, it's not, it's work out your own salvation, not work for your salvation. I think that's an important distinction, work out, work for. Jake pointed that out for me. I'm like, man, that's really helpful. So what does that actually look like? Um, In uh, Jerry Bridges' book, uh, Discipline of Grace, he gives a really helpful illustration uh, that I uh, kinda, I kind of was vaguely reminded of as I was um, reading this and went back to and kind of read it the other day. Um, but he says, imagine you're on an airplane, you know, and you got the left wing, right wing, right, and you're flying. And imagine, hypothetically, that the captain goes, hey, one of our wings is about to like, like be cut off and collapse and uh, about to have a problem. And the question he asks is, would you rather um, it be the left wing or the right wing? And the answer is, like, well, it doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. You need both of them to fly an airplane, right? So, so he would say, like, the two wings of the Christian life are dependence and discipline. And what I mean by that is dependence in the sense of, like, uh, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Um, or John 15, 5, apart from me, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we depend fully on the person of Jesus Christ, God, uh, and who he is and what he's done for us, uh, especially when it comes to our salvation. But there's also this component of, like, work and discipline and uh, obedience. And this is what I believe Philippians 2 is getting to. Just notice how the, the word, uh, just as you has, have always obeyed, ties into work out your own salvation. right? So the language here, uh, I mean, when you're talking about, like, sanctification growing to be more like Jesus Christ, growing in holiness, I think the language that's helpful for me uh, is we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit as we become more like Jesus. So, again, got to see context and verses around. Go to verse 13. That informs verse 12. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purposes. God. So it is God who enables us to work, empowers us to work, but we are also called to labor uh, until we die or until Jesus comes back, right? We don't sit on the beanbag chair with our Cheetos until Jesus comes back, even though Jesus has saved us. It's like, no, no, there's a call to go to labor, to work out uh, your own salvation in that regard. So it's a very weird tension, right? It, Work out your own salvation while de- being dependent on God and his Holy Spirit. But again, just go back to the basis. It's ultimately God who saves us by grace through faith, and it is God who is working in and through us, but also a part of this Christian life as we walk through life together. So sanctification is this ongoing process of perseverance, working hard, humble ser- uh, service, spiritual growth, these things. And I think that's the tension that Paul is really trying to unpack here. So ultimately pressing the Philippians to pursue sanctification as they depend on the Lord. Last thing I want to hit, and then, uh, then I'll, I'll push you guys back into your guys' groups. Uh, verse 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Uh, Again, the context of this, work out your own salvation. And it's almost like here's an example of what that looks like. Do everything without grumbling, arguing, complaining. Um, if you want to look at like the antithesis of what this should like, look like, just go back to your Old Testament and read through the Israel generations. I, I'm reading through numbers right now. And uh, recently got through the bronze snake story, right? And it's like everyone's getting bit by snakes. Raise up the bronze snake, look at the snake, you're saved. A lot of tie-ins to John 3. And uh, but what's interesting is right before that, the reason they got to that point that point is because they were arguing, grumbling, and complaining. Like it's just like what's it was like the pattern of their life was that kind of a rhythm and a lifestyle. So we're called to do the opposite of th- those things, do everything without grumbling and arguing. So and if you're like me, you you read that verse and you immediately probably think of like trivial things in your life when you hear that verse. Like I think of uh, last night, uh, right before going to bed, Casey asking me, "Like, hey, could you work on my neck a little bit?" And uh, and that, my heart goes towards like, not again, not joyful service, but grumbling and arguing. And you understand, I got a six a.m. like meeting and teaching thing tomorrow. You know, like my heart gets in the wrong place at a pretty pretty quick spot. So maybe it's that or kids uh, when they're annoying or inconvenient, or your boss, coworker complaining about them. But so I think that, yeah, trivial things, but, but I think we also need to zoom out, do everything without grumbling, arguing. I also think that should be within the lens of vertical relationship with God, right? Like Israel was grumbling and are complaining and arguing against God. And uh, and I think we are called uh, to do the opposite of that as well as we walk in this life and trials come and God is working all things out for his purpose, his glory. Uh, I think that we need to have this in, in view. Uh, and then, Finally, I'd also say, remember the context of this passage is unity. So I think with, even within the church, right? Do everything within the church in a way that's without grumbling and arguing. Titus talks towards these types of things, but uh, to avoid divisions and brokenness within the church. So I think this command is general enough to encapsulate like all of those things because um, essentially we're called to do all things, everything with a joyful spirit and without complaint. Um, and in this way, we as Christians should stand out like Lights in the darkness. Um, I think Paul is saying, hey, stay unified, be humble, work out your own salvation. As you do, you will shine brightly for the whole world to see. People will look at you and go, man, there's just something different about that person and the way they live. So to me, um, I'm going to stop there, but to me, like the whole chapter, everything here, goes back to unity, humility. Um, Considering others as more important than yourselves. Uh, It leads to self-sacrificial love, uh, unity within the church, a deep care for one another, and it it presses us also towards that, uh, you know, working out your own salvation, sanctification, growing to be more like Jesus. And ultimately, the model for all of these things and the example for all of these things is in the person um, of Jesus Christ, who, when we are in Christ, empowers us by his Holy Spirit as we depend on him to grow in all of these things. All right, so I've got some questions for you guys um, uh, that you guys can talk through at your tables. Um, You know, I can read these out loud. Uh, But Paul calls the Philippians to consider others as more important than yourselves. In what ways can you grow in this command? So talking about humility specifically in application within that. Uh, Man, talk in your groups. Who are people in your life who model humility well? To me, sometimes more often things are caught than taught, right, and so if you just see humility modeled well, like. Oftentimes we learn more from that. Who are those people, um, and what does this look like in their lives? And then, what do you find yourself complaining, grumbling, arguing about? And uh, what would it look like to repent of those things? So, give you some time to talk about those um, at your table, and then or at your there's no tables uh, in your circles tableless, and uh, and I'll come back up and wrap us up at 7:15.